Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian, and this is Maggie. And on this episode, we are returning to canon with the 48th Best Picture winner, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes, it has been a little while for us. I know um, we are recording this uh, post the 2020 U.S. election, which I know has been crazy for us. I'm sure it's crazy for a lot of people. So uh, just a a quick check in, Ian. How you doing? Uh, Honestly, I'm pretty great right now. you know, COVID, it's fine. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, I got okay. it. I'm, I'm treading water, but we're good. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, just just wanted to do a, a quick mental health check-in since this movie is all about mental health. <laughs> yes, and lack of good mental health care. Yeah, anyway, so we're going to do sorry. <laughs> the opposite of everything that everybody does in this movie. Um, as Ian said, we were doing One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It is a 1975 American drama directed by Milos Forman and starring Jack Nicholson and Louise Fletcher. It is based on the 1962 novel of the same name by Ken Kesey. Um, and it was actually the film debut for Christopher Lloyd, Danny DeVito, and Brad Dourif. Oh, wow. Yeah. Danny DeVito is so short. I know, but it's like you, it's he's perfect, so much younger than so you're short. used to seeing him. Yeah. Um, and all of them do a phenomenal job. Like, totally agree. What Especially a, what a Louise debut. Fletcher. Like Jack Nicholson is good, but Louise Fletcher just knocks Ratchet out of the park. Like could not have done better. There is not a weak performance in the entire movie. No. Like I'm so down with every single performance in this. Um, and let me be clear. Like to jump way ahead, think it's a good movie. It was not necessarily the most enjoyable movie, but definitely a good movie. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Um, I sent you a lot of texts. I know while watching it, that was like, I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of feelings. They're all complex and conflicting, and I both love and hate them. So, so it's a success. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I, yeah, it's not a happy movie, but it's definitely a good movie. Um, a little bit more background. So this was actually shot in the Oregon State Hospital, which was an actual mental hospital and is most likely the setting for the book. I think in the book, it's just called an Oregon hospital. But like this mm-hmm. would have been the one, um, which is why all of the set design is great, because it is mostly real. Yeah, I'm amazed that it works well, I shouldn't say that it works so well as a set, but I'm impressed that they were able to use such a non probably it poorly suited space to like film this so well. Yeah, I don't know how much they would have had to like alter the space because it, they are shooting in a very confined area. Mm-hmm. Like it's it, there is not you kind of have like a set of like three to four rooms that they're filming in and then mm-hmm. like the yard. Um But part of the reason they were able to do that is because the director of Oregon State Hospital at the time, Dean Brooks, was very supportive of the filming there and like um, allowed them to go in a week early to like do rehearsals so that actors could shadow patients and like Mm -hmm. get an idea of like what their daily routine was. Uh, Jack Nicholson and Louise Fletcher actually did witness um, electroconvulsive therapy being performed, um, which we'll get to it. I know you and I did both did like a little bit of quick reading in the background of that. Um, so I'm not sure exactly how accurate for that particular time period mm-hmm. it is portrayed in the movie. Um, but but is valid treatment to health, this day. Yeah. We are not health experts in any shape or form. So when we're talking about like, when we get to the point where we talk about the ECT therapy, it will kind of be, um, talking about some light reading that we did. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, and uh, Dean Brooks actually appears in the film as Dr. Spivy, the head of the hospital. Oh, he for, has. He does sorry, well. I'm, I'm impressed. <laughs> he like, does really it was well. A good performance. I guess. I mean, he's he's playing himself. So maybe that's less of a stretch and flex for him. But still, like, good. <laughs> yeah, he does. He does good. And I I kind of, you know, um, for the, the, that character is not, he's not treated badly by the film, but he's also not treated super kindly. So I think to like go in and be like, yeah, no, I'm willing to like play the part of this guy who like is kind of disconnected and dumb. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think he, I think he did a good job. Um, it received quite a lot of nominations and awards. So other than best picture, uh, Milos Forman won for Best Director. Uh, Jack Nicholson won for Best Actor. Louise Fletcher won for Best Actress. Both oh, of good. those we oh, good. totally get behind. Um, Brad Dourif, who plays Billy, was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, but did not win. Um, and it was it won for Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, Haskell Wexler and Bill Butler were nominated for Best Cinematography. Uh, Wexler actually replaced Butler partway through filming. Hmm. Um, I it, it sounds like there wasn't a ton of Butler's footage left by the end product, but there was still enough apparently to like have him included in the nomination. Um, it was nominated for Best Film Editing, and it was nominated for Best Score. I really do like the score. And at the end there, I'm not sure if you got like thoroughbreds vibes from the score at the end, but I certainly did. Um, I I did have a slight issue with the score at the end because it's very clearly playing off of like a generic concept of Native American music with Chief. It mirrored the beginning, like at the very beginning of the end. Does that make sense? Definitely agree with you. But what it evolved into after that was very reminiscent of what it was at the beginning, which was like this weird kind of synthy, off-putting, theremin-heavy something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, in general, I like the score. I think, though, I texted you and I described it as like, the score feels like the music equivalent of sedation. Oh, especially with the music that they play on the ward yes yes which i th- that like forced serenity which i think is what the the biggest quality that louise fletcher brings to mm-hmm. the character of nurse ratchet which i loved ah louise fletcher so good also i i see a picture of her like genuinely smiling right now and i'm like oh i'm not afraid of you anymore <laughs> Um, This was actually the second film to win all five major Academy Awards. That would include Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Director, and Best Screenplay. Do you remember what the first was? I'm going to go out on a limb and guess it was Gone with the Wind. It was not. It was favorite of the podcast it happened one night in 1934 how could i forget that i don't know Ah. but i'm really angry with you and i feel like our listeners are too okay but if i do say so myself i feel like that was the best guess i could have made for not remembering it was a good guess that one that one did sweep a lot of categories so it it was a good guess but um it was wrong well you're off by five years (laughs) Um, okay, surprisingly close in the close. Wow, close in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's also this did not happen again until 1991 with Silence of the Lambs. 
Oh, I'm so excited for that one. Anyway, I'm not. We'll get we're there. not going to talk about it. No, totally understand why you're not, but it's good movie. This is also number 33 on AFI's top 100 movies, top 100 movies list. Wow. Neither of us can talk this morning. Other nominees for them that year were Barry Lyndon, Dog Day Afternoon, Jaws, which I have covered on the podcast. I believe that is the only episode Ian does not appear on. I know. I, I have watched Jaws multiple times, so I'm familiar enough with it to to understand. But I I would put this above Jaws, if I'm being completely honest. I would, too. I do love Jaws, though. It is really, really good. But I, I would put this... This one has more of an impact than Jaws does in my mind. This one made me think a lot more. Yeah. Like Jaws is kind of like fun, but this one made me, (laughs) well. (laughs) What an adjective to use. Jaws is fun compared to this, I guess. Mm. Agree with you there. Totally. Um, And then the last uh, nominee from that year was Nashville. So the only one I have those I have seen is Jaws, which I do love, but I I am very okay with this winning over Jaws. Mm -hmm. And with that, are we ready for some watch notes? Yeah, I think we are. So I think the way we're going through this one, it's not so much like chronologically like we often do. Um, We're going to kind of group around like related scenes Mm -hmm. or like scene type So yeah, watch notes. Um, I think I really loved the opening with the view on the mountains. And just because of that, again, calm, almost forced foreboding calm that you get with it. Um, I'm kind of a sucker for that. And especially with the music that was very, I don't know, kind of new age spooky in my mind. I could have done without the the mountains. Um, I mean, I guess it's kind of showing like, oh, look at this beautiful play like area. And then you've got this like just center of horribleness. <laughs> but I could have done without it. I could have I could have gone straight into the, the hospital. Eh, fair. But Ratched's nurse Ratched's entrance. Amazing. And her costuming is perfect. I love that they have her in all black with that one little kind of jauntily slanted mortarboardish cap. I don't know what to call it. What would you call it? A beret, maybe? Just a cap. She calls it her cap. I thought that was the white thing that she calls her cap. I thought she did have it. I thought it was the white thing. I don't know. Whatever you're talking about. But um, oh, this is her like overcoat, the black overcoat. I know the black the... overcoat, but I didn't know that she had a separate hat. I didn't remember that. But anyway, it's it really it really set, makes her pop against the like all white interiors. Mm-hmm. Um, but we see her walking in and she is greeting every worker who works there and they are greeting her back. And it really gives her this sense of like authority. Yes. And power. Yes. And I respect because I do think she she very clearly has respect from the workers in the institution there and mm-hmm. at least initially has respect of the patients. Yeah. Like. It's clear that she is in charge and it's clear that the patients like, accept that as just a fact of being on the ward. Yeah. So is what it is. Um, I think pretty much nearly immediately after that, we get an introduction to McMurphy for the first time as he's being brought in by two cops uh, through, I believe, the main entrance and up mm-hmm. into this kind of central atrium, which this serves his character so well in my mind. Well, maybe not serves him well, but characterizes him so well, where 
He's 100% faking it. Exactly. Because it's like as soon as he gets the handcuffs off, he just lets out this maniacal over-the-top laugh that just echoes up this atrium. And I'm like, dude, I don't believe you. I feel like it's never 100% confirmed that he's faking it because it does become clear that like he is a man who needs help. Mm-hmm. Like he is a violent man who has like control issues. And I think it is very clear that he does need help, but I think like the extent to which he was like clearly performing to get himself put in to this place, they never a hundred percent confirm that it's like him faking and engineering it, but it's kind of clear. And then also we never really, he never states why he would do that, but like you get the impression very clearly it's because he thinks it would be a cushy gig. Oh, for sure. He is definitely the one that's like, I'm good to not do anything. (laughs) Yeah. So I did like the entrance of the rest of the ward's residents, or at least the main ward's residents, main residents of the ward. I don't know. Anyway, the ones that we care about. The Um, the ones who will be part of the group therapy. Yes. uh, At the beginning with that card scene, because it's it's. You're seeing all of the individuals ticks immediately just through their their card playing. So you have uh, like Dale, who is like, I just want to play cards. Why are you all making this such a big deal? Why are you leaving? And then you have uh, it was Danny DeVito's character, right? Uh, as Martini Cheswick. or no. He, yeah, he is Martini. And then there's also Cheswick uh, and Dale by Dale. You meant Harding. I think they refer to him as Harding. Yes, Dale Harding. Yeah, I like Harding um, a lot. I do, too. Um, but you get these little touches like the cards with pictures of naked women on it that McMurphy has that distracts Martini. And like, I was like, how did they not take that shit from him? I was also curious, but I'm also kind of like, I feel like it makes sense that you at least still have some property, but I don't know. I feel like you take considering, considering like what he is, we find out he's in prison for. Yeah. I'm like, why, why would you not take that from him? I have many notes throughout this entire film where I'm just curious who the fuck is running this hospital. So (laughs) I I also have several questions where I'm like, where's the night shift? And why is it this one lone man? Why are there locks on some things that there should be locks on? Exactly. Uh, So it's why are they allowing, um, Christopher Lloyd's character Tabor to just incessantly bully Harding. Like I, I have a lot of questions. I mean, same. So anyway, liked that scene thought it was effective, thought the camera work was really tidy too. Cause that that's, again, mm-hmm. you're filming in a rather claustrophobic space. Um, and we still get like really good time with each character and, and get to see their reactions to stuff. Yeah. And I, I think the performances from that supporting cast, like th- I think you could make an argument with some of them that it's over the top, but you're also dealing with a very large supporting cast. Mm-hmm. So I think in order to like go in and make these characters memorable, you have yeah. to like kind of overplay it a little bit. And then also it it does serve to highlight because while we said it does become so clear that like Big Murphy is unstable and like is someone who needs help. Their over the topness does set him up as like more normal i mean, I hate to say normal but you know you know what i mean like it it highlights the concept that like he doesn't belong that yes even yeah. though i do think he kind of he needs therapy of some sort <laughs> he belongs in his own way yes 
right after that, we get introduced to Doc Spivey, I believe. Oh, yeah. I guess they um, call it, they pronounce it Spivey. Spivey. I guess it's I think, Spivey's. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's spelled S P as in Paul, I V E as in Echo Y. So uh, Spivey, I don't know. It's fine. Um, but that whole scene there, in the office, that, that's where he kind of is like, I think you might be faking. And I'm like, called it immediately. And obviously yeah. this man is faking uh, because I feel like at that time, just having anger issues, like, especially if you have been put in jail for assault, even though like today we're like, oh yeah, that man clearly needs help. It's like back then they'd be like, eh, just throw him in jail. Like, I don't think that would be considered enough to like get you institutionalized in like the 70s. Yeah, well, and uh, to be totally fair. If you, if, sorry, if you were a man. Uh, fair. <laughs> and I was going to say, like, even even now, I one, one could argue that the U.S. prison system is the largest de facto mental health uh, institution in the world. Uh, but yeah. that is a separate conversation. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's um, a valid point. Um, but yeah, and we also here find out that uh, he's in jail for statutory rape. And I was like, I no longer care what anybody does to this character. I'm OK with it. Yeah, same. I will say Jack Nicholson's performance is superb. Yes. So superb. slimy. And so honestly, slimy. so is Dean Brooks here. Like his wonderful over the rim of his glasses, like downward stare at uh, McMurphy as he's reading through the file is just perfect it's like i am superior and you are nothing to me <laughs> i loved yeah. it loved it um so that's pretty much sums up the the like character introductions um i think next kind of group of scenes that i was hoping to talk through is is the medication time scenes and especially the second one where mcmurphy is given his first set of meds and here's uh, where, so up, I feel like initially I obviously really hated McMurphy and I never like him. I never like him in the film, but I, this was the first, that second medication scene is the first time where I'm like, he's not wrong. Like he's making a valid point because they give him the medicine and they won't really tell him what it is. And he's like, I'm not going to take medicine that I don't know what it is, especially in like a time period where like, there was, I think, a tendency to medicate when other types of like to medicate first, yeah. even when other types of therapy might be more beneficial. Um, a lot of medications were given in stronger doses and there was just more of a emphasis on on like creating compliance mm -hmm. than there was on curing or helping like um, deal with a mental illness, I think. Mm -hmm. So I, I think and I mean, even today, like I can't imagine my doctor prescribing me something and not like fully going through all of the stuff. Like I just being like, no, just take this. Trust us. It'll make you like feel better. Like they tell you exactly what it is, even though I don't know what all the words mean. <laughs> like a lot of times with medications, you get like a little slip of paper that gives mm -hmm. you all of this information. It's like, here's exactly what you need to know. Like here are all of the possible side effects. Like. I can't imagine like that's so unethical. Well, and it's such a comment on the power structure of the time in which this is set where the medical professionals were like judge, jury, executioner in their own space. So like 
Nurse Ratchet is definitely set up to be the iron-fisted in-charge authority. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of hammers it home. I do appreciate the fact that McMurphy just like gums the, or what? what's, I don't know what the word is. He doesn't swallow his meds. He just like holds it on he his tongue. He hides it under his tongue. And it's like it, one of the other inmates is like laughing and clapping about it as if no one else has ever done that before. He, I was yeah. like, he did not invent that. Well, I'm sure he thinks he does, but he did it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it it was that that whole power structure or I'm sorry, not structure, but power like face off between the two is just it's the first one. And McMurphy loses that one. I mean, I would argue he loses every face off with Ratchet. (laughs) He does now, not without damaging Ratchet's facade. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The other main thing with this in the med time is the music. Like every time it's medication time, they put on this very like, serene music. This is increasing my anxiety. Cause it's like, Oh, what is, what is flowing under this facade of calm? But the guy dancing in the ward, did you not love him? I love the guy who was always dancing to the music. And then there's the one time where the orderly stops him from dancing. And I was like, let that man dance. I mean, he let him dance. He was just like, okay, just take it back. Like, a skosh, so you don't tire yourself out. <laughs> don't just let that man dance his heart out. I loved him. I was I was so on board with that guy. <laughs> he has no name. He's never significant in the movie. I just really liked him, and I supported his dancing. Yeah, same. So, group therapy. Oh God, there are three or four of these scenes, and I have a lot of questions about them. One. Well, the first one's a statement and it is that they don't seem very helpful. I feel like there's a like and I understand the concept of group therapy and I know that it like can be extremely helpful to like talk with people who are like going through similar things as you. But I feel like with these group therapy sessions, one, you're dealing with people who have a lot of different issues. Mm -hmm. So like it becomes blatantly obvious that a lot of them can't relate to the others and like poor Harding just constantly gets bullied and like has a lot of homophobic remarks thrown at him because they're talking about like how he has like problems with like his relationship with his wife. That's also something that I'm like, that's extremely personal. Like that doesn't seem like something you would talk about in group therapy. Yeah. Personally, don't really want to like be exposing my de- deepest, darkest secrets and fears and worries and all of that to just a group of strangers. So I, yeah, it could be my own bias there, but I, I am not a fan. I like, I don't like telling a therapist <laughs> <laughs> my secrets. I'm not telling other people. But yeah, I agree with you there. Cause the way Ratchet kind of structures it is very much let's have the group give their thoughts about one person's trauma and problems. And it just turns into the group bullying the person. And my biggest question here is I'm like, is that ratchet being, because through, I would say through like the first half of the film, I'm kind of on ratchet's side because Mm -hmm. I'm like, Murphy's an asshole and a rapist. Like fuck you for coming in here and just like, throwing all this chaos into people's environment, people who probably need some order and structure. Yeah. Which I think Ratchet 
talks about a couple of times. She's like, a lot of these people need a routine and it takes a really long time to establish that for them. And, but then like we hit a point where I'm like, okay, ratchet, you've now become a villain. Yeah. She doesn't seem like the warmest person to be leading a therapy session, but also like, I don't know with the group therapy, with the exception of the way she kind of manipulates Billy with his mother. I'm not sure if that's Ratchet being evil or if that's just like what protocol was at the time. Like, was that just how you were supposed, like you were told to do therapy at the time? I have no clue, but I personally read it as cruelty because that's like a button that she presses for compliance. With Billy, 100%. Mm-hmm. With the bill, separate from the Billy stuff. Oh, you mean like generally would you use something like that? Right. Like generally would you have group therapy with that many people with different age? Like would, would in a mental hospital at the time that have just been how group therapy worked? Now, her specific targeting of Billy with his mother, 100% agree. That is like a button she is pushing for compliance. And there's a bit of like a sadistic mm-hmm. nature to it. So 100% agree with that. I don't honestly don't really know the one or I guess two separate times, though, that I loved more of that kind of power play between Ratched and McMurphy was the voting for the World Series, though. So I, I love how locked down Ratched has this group the first time around when they vote on whether they will change to uh, watch the World Series. So here's my question with me, because the thing with Ratchet and McMurphy is that they are both two very strong personalities. Mm-hmm. They're very strong in different ways, though. Ratchet is a more of like a quiet strength. And McMurphy is like, I will sow so much chaos and be so loud about it, mm-hmm. which is another reason I hate him. I don't like I don't like excessive chaotic energy, as Ian knows, <laughs> because what was it we were doing? We were doing something one day and you were like, I'm going to do this. And I was like, OK, but like, are you feeling chaotic today? <laughs> Because if so, we was can't it playing do like overcooked or something? I think it was playing overcooked. I often have chaotic energy with overcooked, and it drives me insane. <laughs> we still get all those stars. We do. But you were like, "I'll shot call," and I was like, "Are you? Where's your chaotic energy at? Because if it's high, you can't unshot call." Oh um, boy. But uh, but you have these two strong personalities that are kind of warring it out, and I feel like a lot of innocent bystanders over the course of the movie get caught in their war Mm -hmm. and get hurt. And neither of them really cares as long as they get their way. Yeah. As long as they win. And I feel like that's why we're really actually watching a movie with two villains. I think at its heart, I agree, especially with McMurphy because he's obviously done some abhorrent things. Right. Well, and even when he's trying to get the vote, like, Mm -hmm. so the first time the vote doesn't pass, but he's like also like hardcore pressuring people to vote for the thing he wants. Like, it's not like a, Hey man, like, do you actually want to watch the world series? Cause if not, like I get it, vote the way you want to, but like, I'd really like to watch it. So like, if it wouldn't bother you, no, he's being like, put your hands up, put your hands up. Come on. Don't you want, like, aren't you an American? It's the world series. Like, yeah. So I just feel sorry for everybody else who's like, hmm, do I piss off the lady in charge of my meds or do I piss off this guy who won't shut up and has assaulted like five people? Yeah, it's it's manipulative in its own way. Yeah. Which is him. Oh, that's it's both of those characters. Oh, yeah. And that's why they butt heads, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, because they both like to be they're both alphas. They both want to be in a charge and both of them hate losing. Mm-hmm. So 
the kind of complexity of McMurphy, I think, is really reflected in the scenes in the yard. And again, when they go in and steal a boat. So especially with the way he tries to include Chief. His his relationship with Chief to me is the best thing about him. Totally agree. Because he's like looking at this excluded, quiet, totally on the edge. He character. still says some very racist stuff and does some very racist things. Yes. But he is the only person who is reaching out to Chief at all because everybody else is like, he's dumb and deaf. Like, why are you even trying? Mm-hmm. And we later find out that that's not the case and Chief is just faking. Although we never really get... Did we ever get this full story of why Chief is in there? We get some backstory about his father, I know, but I'm still not sure why he's in there. So I don't know why he needs to be faking it. I'm assuming he's not there voluntarily. Uh, Correct. It's McMurphy, Chief, and Tabor are the only that are involuntarily committed. Which, another question, why are our involuntarily committed patients being kept with our voluntary committed patients? Because... That's probably not great, considering that the people who are involuntarily committed, I'm assuming, have done something violent. Yeah, I'm just, who the fuck is running this hospital? I don't um, know. Yeah, it is it is what it is. Um, but I, I did, again, love the way that he's trying to get Chief involved with the basketball game and ultimately does get Chief involved in the basketball game. And it, it's clear that Chief enjoys that and is seems at least outwardly to be happy about that. Yeah, we get to we see him kind of smile for the first time I think in the second basketball game. But yeah, the McMurphy's relationship with Chief and his like constant trying to include him mm-hmm. I think is the most positive aspect of his character. Um and it it, it humanizes him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Adds that complexity and conflicted feelings I have for him. Yes. Yeah. I do love that second basketball scene because it reminded me of when you, me and Lola play overcooked just to bring overcooked back Uh, for people who don't know what that (laughs) game is. It's basically, you're all trying to run a restaurant on these like crazy maps where like there will be like trap doors and crazy things happening. And you're trying to just cook food and serve orders and it's highly addictive. And Ian has a lot of chaotic energy during it Mm -hmm. and will often spiral and throw things everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) So when he's yelling at Martini, he's like, Martini, why did you throw it at the fence? There's nobody at the fence. I was like, that equals Lola and I being like, Ian, why did you throw that hot dog off the airship? There's no one off the airship. (laughs) And nine times out of 10, it's just because I don't want it cluttering up my workspace. (laughs) I hate it. I can have chaotic personal energy, but my environment must be clean and orderly. Uh, (laughs) I'm the opposite. (laughs) My environment's a mess right now because work has been so crazy. And, uh, but I need that calm personal energy. I get it. But so to go to the yard scene again, the end of it is the second, is it the second one? I think, or the third one. Anyway, chief helps McMurphy jump the fence and he decides to go on a walkabout of sorts. You guys, you guys. <laughs> Where are the orderlies? It's broad fucking daylight. And they're not like hiding behind anything to climb this fence. They just straight up climb this fence. And I'm like, who is in charge here? Who is in charge? <laughs> it's fine. Able to like full on steal the bus with all of it's the involuntary, pa- sorry, voluntary patients on. 
Don't question it. It's a plot device. I would very much like to question a lot of this. Yeah. So McMurphy steals the bus with like the rest of his therapy group on it Mm -hmm. and is like, we're going to go fishing. Well, first off, they pick up candy. Let me just say, I really hope candy is an adult. I do, too. I'm not. uh, Yeah. Anyway, it's. mm, Yep. Given his history, I really hope she is, too. Um, Let's, for the sake of our own sanity, assume she is. The, I'll, I'll roll with it for the rest of this podcast. Perfect. Cause cool. lots of things happen. Um, so they pick they her straight up, up, steal a boat, it, which also yeah. I was like, candy, honey, you're the lone woman with like a group of very unstable men. Like I, okay. Candy oof. is a trope and she is the trope of the like dumb, lowbrow woman of the time. I just, uh, which is why I agree with you that is a horrible decision, but not a surprising decision. That's, well, that's, that's, and also like, let's not to say that like the only people who find themselves in that situation are dumb, but I'm just, I, oof, I was worried for her. I yeah. wasn't so much judging candy. I was just very worried for her. Reasonably. So especially given Murphy, Especially given Murphy. Like, yep. I think for the most part, the other patients I saw as pretty much harmless. Uh, Maybe not Martini. He was a little lecherous in that scene. And um, Tabor. Tabor is yeah, clearly that's right. very violent. Um, and then even even Cheswick has like an. There's a there's a scene with Cheswick that is very unnerving uh, that we will talk about. Anyway, they go fishing. They're going in circles. Like, I, it feels like this is supposed to be some comedic relief here. I just found it anxiety-inducing. Me too. I was like, there are so many things that could go wrong. So many people could get hurt. Yeah. Like, never mind the fact that you literally just stole a boat. I know. I, yeah, it was also very anxiety-inducing to me. I think what I'm learning is that I just, you and I <laughs> get very stressed out about a lot of stuff and it manifests when we're watching movies sometimes <laughs> and we're like oh my god like are they gonna be okay like so much could go wrong and i was like sitting there i was like am i am i becoming like the mom like the mom friend because i'm just constantly worried about everyone's safety all the time in this movie let me just put it this way like larger life stuff i am shocked that i did some of the traveling that i did when i was in college like when i look back on it i'm like that was gutsy. <laughs> I'm, I, it's not stuff like that. It's more, I get more like worried. For, I just get worried for other people. I don't worry about me. <laughs> oh, I worry about me. <laughs> I'm selfish. Well, I worry fine. about you too. Oh, thank you. I worry about you just in different ways. Okay, good. Well, that's probably <laughs> now. I, wait, we need to have an offline discussion because I'm not group therapying this with our listeners, but we'll chat. I think you know exactly what I mean. So I know it's exactly fine. What you mean. <laughs> um, so yeah, they, they are the Coast Guard brings them back. They have a great time and they like caught this fish. And I love how it was kind of like a throwback to Dr. Spivey's office or Spivey's office. Um, yeah. Where he Everybody's had caught a fish. super, super pervy about McMurphy and Candy, like yeah. going into the, like, I guess below deck for some fun. Got some side boob hashtag seventies, but no butts. 
No, we did, oh, we get, did a get a butt. We got a <gasps> Billy's butt. We got a butt. We got a male yes, butt. Yes, finally. It's been a long time. There are few and far between in our best picture winners. <laughs> Except for the first like three, four. Yeah, we, had, yeah. yeah. we really had a lot of butts early on, but we haven't a lot recently. But yeah, that it's very clear that they fucked up big time. So immediate next scene is really, I think, the turning point for Ratched in my mind. Agreed. This is where I go from being like, I, you know, and I, with like the world series thing, I was like, I mean, you could have given that to him, but also like, I, I get it, but this I'm with you is the scene where I'm like, I I can't, like, I, I can't side with her anymore. Like she's, I think this is where she becomes like the full villain. 100% agree. And it really comes down to her holding McMurphy in the ward. And I think I texted you this a little bit where it's like, I don't know if it's her hubris, her sadist bent, like why she feels that he needs to be kept there. But whatever reason there is, it's very clear, at least to me, that she is not the one that needs to be helping McMurphy if her if she truly has his best interests in mind. Right. Because the there are several doctors that are saying, like, you know, he's disruptive. He like, do we can we help him? Do we need to just move him to a different place that would be like better suited for him or basically like we don't want to deal with him? Should we move him? And they ask ratchet because everyone clearly respects her mm-hmm. and her professional opinion and they're like you you know you're closest with the patients you would know best do you think we should move him and she says no that she she's like i i just i think we can help him but the look on her face isn't i think we can help him it's i'm going to crush him mm-hmm. and i think i think it's because she is a person who i i think it's that you know chaos dueling order thing but it's on like a very high level but also i think she's just a person who like does not like her authority being challenged it is very used to it not being challenged and and to be fair nick murphy's been terrible to her he's definitely like poked the bear when he shouldn't have and i think there's definitely some misogynistic um overtones to his dislike of her Mm -hmm. i think he does not like being challenged by a woman and a woman having authority over him but I think that that was her opportunity to be like one. I don't think that she really thinks she can help him, but I think that was her opportunity to like, let it go. Mm -hmm. And by letting it go to save a lot of the other patients from the bad environment that McMurphy has been creating and the bad environment that like their rivalry has been created. And because of her unwillingness to let him go, I think it's, it shows that like, she is also like McMurphy. She is also very selfish and she doesn't truly care about the other patients. Totally agree. This is all it. It appears to be completely personal at this point. Absolutely. And another example of missing the forest for the trees. So again, that's her like villainous transformation in my mind. But I I 100 percent agree. I think that's that's the point where you go from being like and she's she's not particular like you don't really like her, but you're like, I understand where she's coming from to being like there are no excuses. Yeah, I'm actively rooting against you now instead of just not really rooting for anybody. (laughs) Honestly, I still wasn't rooting for anybody. I just disliked them both the entire time. I wanted both of them. Honestly, I just wanted both of them to fail because I 
wanted everybody else to like get the treatment that they needed. Yeah, exactly. So in that same kind of sequence there, um, there is, is that scene in the pool where McMurphy is trying to kind of, you know, needle the orderly a little bit. Cause he says, I'm only here for 68 days. And the orderly is like, that's for a prison sentence. Like you're here now. We keep you as long as we want to. And that's when it dawns on McMurphy that when he's in trouble because he's pissed off the person whose voice is going to count the most mm-hmm. over whether or not he should be released. And that like, he he's not as smart as he thinks he is. And he did not like think his plan through. Yeah. But I love the heightened drama here by us knowing the conversation that had just happened in that administrative meeting. It's oh, yeah. just We're like, like, you're oh. never getting out. You are never getting out. Well, I knew he wasn't because I read the book, but <laughs> well, right. it's fine. Yeah, I think this is our first book adaptation that you've read that I haven't. Yeah, for for once. I'm honestly surprised, except not really, because this is not a book that I would have sought out had it not been for a literature class that I was yeah, taking. Yeah, I, I don't think I would have read this if not for a literature class. I don't know. I might have. When I was in high school, I, I was a little bit snooty about <laughs> my book choices. It's fine. So after this, there's one final uh, group therapy scene that really just goes completely off the rails, like completely this, off the rails. This one is frightening. And and I feel like you get the sense. I'm like, this is why Nurse Ratchet is so like she is. Yeah. Because <laughs> like shit like this happens. But I do love Jack Nicholson's performance in this scene. Well, one, I love Louise Fletcher being the only one who seems to stay in control. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can tell that she's like unnerved and maybe a little bit scared, but she's still very in control. But also the way that she breaks in such a measured, but also emotional way, like after having such a calm performance, the rest of the time really heightens the sense of urgency and chaos in the scene. So like, right. Well, but also just highlighting, well, one, all of the performances um, from like all of the patients in the scene, but Jack Nicholson too, you really get to see the like, cause that this is where McMurphy realizes that like he is in over his head Mm -hmm. and that like he really fucked up because he goes into the group therapy scene and he's really upset that no one explained to him like that they, they could just keep him. He's like, that like I I can't leave when my sentence is over. And that's when like Ratchet and like Harding and some of the other patients explain to him the voluntary versus involuntary. And he has this line that like I understand his anger that he's like, you guys all talk about how much you hate it here, but you could leave. And I understand his anger and confusion, but I think there's also like an aspect from the other patients about like what mental illness is where they're like, I could just leave, but like it, it's hard for me out there and like I need help and I recognize that. And this is the place that I've been told mm-hmm. I can get it. I mean, Billy flat out says when like to fast forward, like a whole bunch, um, when he McMurphy, says I'm not ready. Exactly. Exactly. And no one listens to him, which is the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, uh, group therapy session goes completely off the rails. Cheswick loses his shit. You have Tabor getting burned by the cigarette that like got caught in the cuff of his mm-hmm. pants. And that's when he's like subdued and dragged out of the room. And that's when McMurphy's like, 
oh shit, this is real. Um, he punches the orderly. We see his anger issues. Chief comes to his defense, um, really highlighting their relationship. Mm-hmm. And it ends with Cheswick, McMurphy, and Chief all being taken to get ECT. Yeah. So Cheswick's terrified. Again, kind of heightening that whole, oh my God, what's happening? But one thing that I loved in this scene, well, let me let me back up, made it a super effective scene. Not sure that I loved this scene, is how when the doctor entered, the entire hallway just cleared. And all of a sudden it was hyper-focused on just Chief and McMurphy and yeah. the situation. And this is that where we find in. out that Chief isn't deaf and dumb. Mm-hmm. Um but you have McMurphy getting uh, ECT, which all the ethical violations, he clearly doesn't know what it's about to happen to him. Um, They don't use any sort of sedative or muscle relaxant. So he has like the full convulsions they're using. So I, like I said, Ian and I did a little bit of like a quick read up on ECT. Um, I'm not sure how accurate this was to the time. I think there's a little bit of a heightened horror element. Um, 100%. Yeah. and, And they're definitely like, in the hit, like the history of ECT is not pretty. Um, it is still considered a valid treatment today in very specific cases. Mm-hmm. And from what I was reading, there is a lot of emphasis on like informed consent from patients. And like they don't use the two nodes. Apparently, they stopped using like the two nodes in like the 40s or something. They would just use one because it would help with like the memory loss issue. Oh. Um, but and also people are anesthetized now. So like yeah, they're anesthetized. <laughs> so you don't have the like awful convulsion. Um, and it's from what I was reading, I can't be a hundred percent sure. And I'm sure there were places that did not follow protocols. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you had some very bad people at some places who were doing it completely incorrectly. Um, but it seems like the anesthetization or like you were at least given some sort of like sedative or muscle relaxant. So you wouldn't convulse like that started in like the late, like the mid to late fifties. So, yeah, definitely played on audiences, uh, perceived notions of what this was. And I mean, even the way it's filmed, like you get this shot that just zooms in and in and in and in and in. I'm saying and in repeatedly, if you couldn't yes. tell, um, <laughs> to McBurphy's face as it's happening. And Nicholson's performance is top notch. Yeah, again. Totally deserve that Oscar. So good. And and I I think the reason, you know, they're obviously like showing this to make a point mm-hmm. about like the ineffectiveness of this institution that is supposed to help. Right. And which in some, if not many cases, might actually be doing more harm. So it's a very it's very effective for that uh that theme. Yeah, totally agree there. So I think next couple areas that I really want to focus on are the night of a thousand bad decisions, what I would like to call the morning of a thousand more, and then finally chief's liberation. That's all I'm going to call it. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So night of a thousand bad decisions. Like who is in charge? <laughs> I, my first note after that was like, I was like, where is like the night shift? And it, there is a night shift. It's one guy, yeah. one guy who can be easily bribed Very easily to open the window and let in two women, candy and her friend, which they're clearly plastered. Yeah. Bringing lots of alcohol for everybody. Clearly some sort of like 
okay, we're going to bring alcohol and maybe we'll like hook up with folks. Like it's, yeah, I was trying to soften it, but sure. Bang. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But this night shift guard definitely didn't understand that McMurphy was wanting to throw a party for the whole floor. Who the the fuck is this guy? Like, how do you not know? (laughs) Again, it's McMurphy. He's the most notorious guy on the ward. I just, I I guess if you're working the night shift, but like, is this the guy who was supposed to be breaking up all the poker games that like ratchet started having to ration people's cigarettes because they were just losing them all to McMurphy and then everybody got mad at her about it. And I was like, honestly, honey, I would have just been like, it's your shit. You can lose it. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. (laughs) Serves you right. But this is just a clusterfuck of a scene. I mean, there is some like really cool suspense stuff that they do when the entire ward has to hide in the nurse's station because why, the why night is the nurse's station not rounds. locked? Why is the nurse's station not locked? It it's not locked. And like there's even a point earlier when McMurphy just walks into the nurse's station, scares the shit out of the like young assistant nurse, which I was like, how was that not locked? Like Maggie? If you're dealing with people I who reiterate. are unstable who like, the fuck is running this that's hospital? A safety issue. <laughs> They're, that's where they keep the meds. I just, oh. <laughs> Who the fuck is in charge? I mean, it's a very telling documentary we watched, so. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> but I, I did really like that kind of tense scene between um oh it's funny Turkle it's very funny and the night nurse it's so funny when they're all in there and they're like where's turkle why isn't he out there like talking to the night nurse like like or the supervisor i think they call her like getting her to go away and turkle's like because i'm hiding in here and they're like well get out there <laughs> they push him out and he's like trying to act like there's nothing they're they're all like knock over a bunch of stuff in the nurse's station he's still trying to act like it's nothing and then candy like peeks out the door which very shrewd way to play it very true and then the supervisor is like you just need to get her out of here i i'm like wouldn't you check other things wouldn't you want to know how he got her in there like wouldn't you want to see her out like I am curious, like this film didn't explicitly deal with race, but I'm curious if that played a part in it. I'm going to say undoubtedly yes. Yeah, because the, the night guard because is it's black. America. And I was going to say America in the 1970s, but no, I'm just going to leave it at America. Yeah. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if the night nurse was able to just dismiss this night guard is being, you know, every horrible stereotype. Anyway, he's for sure going to lose his job, which he's really broken up about. And I'm like, dude, I don't know. You took the bribe and we're like, I'm not going to take the bribe unless that woman also has sex with me. So like, I kind of have no sympathy for you. Un- like you, you, you goofed. He's another character where I had complicated feelings about it. Cause yes, Murphy took advantage of him, but also, you're a grown-ass man yeah and you accepted the bribe so yeah it yeah like you're you're a grown-ass man and this it wasn't like this appeared above board like it appeared sketchy from the get-go right right. so they have like an all-out banger of a party like they use what i presume is an enema machine like thing to take shots of alcohol which Ian, my mom friend came out again because I was my inner mom friend because I was sitting there. I was like, no, this is too much alcohol. We don't know how that's going to mix with your meds. Like 
who, who fucking knows? Are you okay? Like there's no medical staff currently here, which seems like an oversight in order to help anyone. If they like get alcohol poisoning, let's not use like an IV drip <laughs> to just give people alcohol. I was, yeah, I was like, that's too much. What looks like peppermint schnapps. It was a clusterfuck. I was worried for a lot of people's safety as I rightly should have been. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This is also where Billy gets <sighs> forced into the room with candy. I feel, God, I feel so bad for this character. So I, there's, so you know how we've talked about the relationship with chief and McMurphy McMurphy's relationship with Billy, I think is, is very problematic because McMurphy seems to have a lot of good intentions mm -hmm. towards Billy. Like Billy clear. It was clear on the boat that he really likes candy. Uh, it had come up in a group therapy session that like he has had trouble with like relationships with women in the past. Like I'm going to say with girls. Cause Billy's very young. Yeah. Um, and there's like an element of McMurphy. I think genuinely thinking he's going to help, but also it's super, it's a problem because it is very clear to any outside viewer that like, he's not actually listening to Billy and like, doesn't actually understand Billy's problem. So he actually is just setting him up for fail for like really awful failure by not listening to him and understanding it. And that's the bit where you have Billy talking about like, I'm not ready because Candy and her friend are going to break out McMurphy. And I think chief is supposed to go with them too. They're like, we're going to flee to Canada. But then Billy is talking to McMurphy. He's like, is Candy going to go with you? And like, and McMurphy's like, yeah, well you could come with us. And he's like, I'm not ready. And then McMurphy's like, oh, well you can have a quick quote unquote date with Candy. And Billy's again, like, I'm not ready. Like, and McMurphy's just not listening. Yeah. And they actually all. drag Billy out of a room <laughs> to like get him in the room with Candy. Yeah. Then he falls asleep and doesn't escape. Okay. Here's the, okay. Okay. They're all fucked. Next to open window, Maggie. There's, there's an open window, Ian. There's an open window. They're all fucked. Billy didn't have to die. Caught. He could have left. A uh, quick uh, trigger warning for suicide. Yes. We haven't addressed it yet, but we're about to start talking about it. And it's pretty rough. Um, yeah, there's an open window. The ward is destroyed. And they all just pass out. I have no words. I'm just I'm kind of like I'm I'm upset about it. Like, I'm really upset about it, Ian. Like, I'm like, you did this stupid thing. You put all of these people in danger because you wanted to have a blowout party and escape. And then you didn't even escape. Like, it's bad enough that basically I I'm, am fully of the opinion. I mean, Ratchet also is culpable in Billy's suicide. But I'm of the opinion that McMurphy is the one who sets the stage for it and, like, creates the situation where it happens. My only push here is Ratchet is the one that kept the dangerous wild card there in the first place. So I'm like, you should have taken him out. I still think she's 100% culpable, and I think she should have had McMurphy moved if she genuinely actually cared about anything other than, like, 
reestablishing her authority. Um, even though a lot of the other patients don't seem to question it that much. Uh, but McMurphy is the one who has created this war and this hostile situation. And then he's the one who has the party doesn't listen to Billy or understand the danger he's putting everyone else into. But like, not only does he just not care that much and puts everybody in this horrible position, but then he doesn't even do the thing he did it in order to do. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't even accomplish his goal. Yeah. It was all for not. It's all for nothing. Not that it would have been justified if he had escaped, but like. He just leaves a trail of exploded lives in his wake, which like, yeah. yeah. But this scene with Ratchet coming in, Louise Fletcher's performance, (sighs) you see the anger, but it's done in such a way. So hard to control it. Yeah. Yeah. And you see that struggle with her. So again, that performance. Amazing. The like reveal of Billy with candy and then her treatment of Billy after that bringing this, up. This is where, this is where she, yeah, she is culpable as well. Um, Total cruel. Because she brings up his mother, mm-hmm. which there's like, I don't know. There's like some backstory in there that we only are getting glimpses of because she talks about like how his mother is like, a good friend of hers, which I'm like, this seems really ethically questionable. Yeah. Yeah. But are we surprised? No, no, every, everything in this movie was ethically questionable. Ian, again, everything who's running this hospital, (laughs) who's running this hospital. Because who leaves Billy Um, alone in doc Spivey's office? She specifically says not to, too. She like tells someone she's like, take, take him into the room and like stay with him. So I don't know if either, whoever was supposed to be staying with him leaves. Cause when, when she talks about telling his mother and she really just digs in the knife on like, she's going to be so disappointed in you. And so Billy has a breakdown, but she's like, and, and it's even more dangerous because it has been made clear in a group therapy session that she is well aware of Billy's suicide attempts. Mm-hmm. So the fact that she is then like pulling these emotional triggers, it's is, inexcusable. It's inexcusable. It's, completely irresponsible and it is sadistic i think that is the best word to describe her like there is there is a sadistic element to her personality yeah um so either whoever's supposed to well, but she does that is tell people happened. to stay with him so so who either Mc- they either they leave or i was thinking that it was just the young nurse and she wasn't able to control so mcmurphy tries to escape again with the keys and that distraction is what pulls the orderly out of the office Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. So once again. And I mean, Nurse Ratched calls for the orderly. Oh, God. The selfishness of those two characters. Right. Like they are both directly responsible right now for Billy being left alone in that office. Absolutely. Fuck. Yeah. So there is a scene where we see Billy. After he has committed suicide. Mm -hmm. And that is, again, where things kind of go off the rails and we get this intense scuffle, physical scuffle between McMurphy and Ratchet. So 
McMurphy has the opportunity to escape at that point with that distraction. Instead, he comes back to like check on Billy, which I think is supposed to make us have more sympathy for his character, even though like I, I have zero sympathy for his character. The only character I truly have sympathy for. No, there are two that I have truly sympathy for in this movie. Chief and no, Billy. Three. Chief, Billy and Harding. I just really like Harding. Oh, Harding. Uh, I like I like him. He's our voice of reason, man. <laughs> and I just I hope I hope he and his wife work it out. Well, they're like he was written to be a repressed gay man. So, yeah, they that's, probably that's won't. The and they definitely had some very homophobic digs at him, but it's and maybe they're working it out is that he's able to come out to her. She fully understands and they're able to like either separate happily or just like lead a coexisting life together that they then both are allowed to have affairs. I'm just going to say this was written in 1965 for mid 1960s. So as much as I wish that were the outcome. <laughs> Ian, let me create the happy thought if I want to have it. <laughs> I just like to come in and ruin people's happy thoughts. I'm kidding. I don't actually like to do that, except to Maggie. (laughs) Stop trying to bring me down, man. Um, Anyway, but McMurphy strangles, like tries to strangle Ratchet because of this. And this really pisses me off for several reasons. Mostly because it is McMurphy completely putting the blame on Ratchet and Ratchet is 50% of this issue. He is the other 50%. So it is no, there is zero recognition of the part he has played in this. And I don't like that. So instead, he just tries to put it all on her and strangle her. And then by doing that, it also means that in no way, shape or form will she ever be held accountable for what happened because then she can 100% put it on him and be like, the crazy man attacked me. So basically, no one's going to accept responsibility or be forced to accept responsibility. Truth. Now, at this point, how are they still in charge of this ward? Like, who the fuck is running this hospital? But Ian, who's running this hospital? (laughs) That's beside the point. We We have to talk about the final set of scenes here. So kind of get an introduction after this. We see that Nurse Ratched is wearing a neck brace, which I'm like... Serves you right. Um, I love how she's just still like she's back to her serene (laughs) calmness. Like she is greeting people. She's got the weird stiff neck brace, but she's on the like little microphone being like, Mr. So-and-so, how did it go? Good. Okay. Good to hear. (laughs) (laughs) But there is this banter among the men on the ward about like the legend that McMurphy has become is like, did he escape? Did he get to the violent ward? Like all of this stuff kind of building up what they think fits with his image also we just find out that there is a violent ward why was he not there in the first place Ian? yeah as a convicted rapist and five-time assault charge haver Uh, well again and i cannot stress this enough who is running this hospital yes um (laughs) but that night we actually see him being brought in by uh, a couple orderlies. It's clear he is subdued. He has to be helped into bed. Well, and previously after the ECT, he had like pretended to be kind of zombie-like mm-hmm. and then came back and was like, nah, bitches, I'm fine. Like, so you're almost like, is it an act? But 
chief sees this and I love the way that they focused in on his face as he kind of sees this and is curious and like, what's going on here? I don't understand. He goes to try and like wake him up and be like, Hey, we're going to get out Mm -hmm. tonight because very early on in the film, there was this great bit where there it's like, it's what is it like a sink or like an oxygen tank? It's like marble. uh, Aqua therapy machine. Okay. But it's like marble and it's super heavy. And McMurphy at one point is like, I'm just going to throw this out a window. And everyone's like, sure, man. And he's like taking bets on it. And he obviously can't even move, like wiggle Mm -hmm. it. Like it's so heavy, which I love seeing overconfident characters fail. That was delightful. Chief is like, no, we're going to, we're going to do it. We're going to get out tonight. And then McMurphy's not responsive. Mm -hmm. He goes over. And like you said, it's the close up and we can see that he's like trying to understand. And then he realizes something and it's the close up of the lobotomy scars. And I think it's very interesting how the movie never really like explains that it was a lobotomy and they never, even with the ECT, like they never use that phrase. They never explain what these things are. And I think that says to how much in the public consciousness those concepts were. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they're both the horrible things like lobotomies are like one of the most horrible things that has ever happened in medicine ever. But like, and clearly ECT was extremely dangerous and bad for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah, but like the it it just gives you such an understanding of like the public consciousness around those things and the public horror Mm -hmm. around those things. Well, and see, my reading of that, too, is. Instead of couching these procedures in medical terms that are designed to show that, like, okay, maybe they have some clinical significance or stuff like that, they are simply horrific things done to the character for reasons unknown. So they're used as punishment. Exactly. So it feels like a heightening of the like injustice that it is. Yeah, absolutely. So it's McMurphy is now a vegetable. Yes, but Chief, you know, he says that gut-wrenching line about I'm not just going to leave you here like this and smothers him with a pillow. Okay, I kind of have issues with this. I'm like, Chief, it's kind of not your call. Like, I'll, in order for me to, like, not, like, for the, (laughs) I don't want to say okay with this, but, like, I feel like all you have to do is have, like, one line earlier in the movie where Murphy says something like, like, you, like, he wouldn't want to live like that. I like, swear you, something like that happened in the book. Did I just mi- okay? Because I, I was going to be I, it like, didn't if, happen in if the it movie. was in the movie, I missed it. But okay, okay, cool. Because I would, I feel like you need to have McMurphy it's uh, in some way have given like a verbal living will. I mean, but at the same time, uh, statutory rapist. You know what? You're right. So at again, this back and forth so I complex. didn't like that. I didn't like that Chief did it because I like Chief. I, I mean, I you could interpret that. Granted, as I a, also have no idea why Chief is there. Yeah, that's for sure. But like for me, that that almost like Chief and McMurphy had a unique relationship within the film, and uh, I this language is going to sound so off, but it's like almost was treated as if it were an act of mercy. That's definitely how it's framed Um, in the film. I mean, everything about this film, it's like everything. It's so well done because everything is so complex 
and nuanced and you just constantly have conflicting feelings over everything. And it's, it's all about framing mm-hmm. and like what you're viewing and like every single character in this movie has backstory that we never get mm-hmm. at best. It is hinted at oftentimes we don't get anything. So all we do is see them through like the, this particular lens. And so you, you have no idea like what, it, what is accurate. Mm-hmm. But that that is what prompts Chief to actually successfully rip up the hydrotherapy machine, throw it out a window and escape. So it's I don't know. There's part of me that's like, okay, um, if so many people had to be caught up in this bullshit power struggle, at least one person who seems based on all the interactions that we've seen and all that to be. The, probably the character we like the yeah, most. Like he Chief gets that liberation is in my opinion, ultimately satisfying, even if it, in the entirety, like his arc is satisfying, but there's, not the there's rest. hope. So that is why this is a modernist film and not a postmodernist <laughs> film is because I was told, I remember my English teacher in high school telling us the difference between modernism and postmodernism is that modernism gets a happy ending. Like both are just depressing and shitty the whole time, but at least the modernism gets the happy ending. Yeah. So I feel like this is what we got. This was like our happy ending is that one of the characters that we like the most, a character who at least in this movie has not done anything wrong, mm-hmm. gets to go free. Yeah. And I'm glad for it too, because it seemed like I am too. It seemed like he didn't belong there. We didn't get his full backstory, but it kind of makes watching everything worthwhile because <laughs> at the end of this if everything had just been sad i'd still be like it's a good movie but i would be so mad about oh, it. oh agreed now to to go back to the kind of backstory piece i do really love that ratchet doesn't get a backstory like she is just an unknown face of the system so like i understand that that is kind of how they were trying to show that that the system trying to force like uniformity and compliance is it is faulty. Um, I'm not sure that I agree that the brash individualism at Mc, like McMurphy showed, um, which is a nice way for me to put it, um, is really the answer. But, um, I think I texted you at the beginning of this. It was, it was like after the first time he was a complete asshole to ratchet. And I was like, I, and I had never, so I have never read the mm-hmm. book. I had never seen the movie. I have seen like a one act version of the play, but like it was a long time ago. So I knew that Ratchet was supposed to be like the big villain, but I was like sitting there watching like after his first couple of interactions with her, I was like, I don't know. I was like, I'm kind of on her side. I was like, Ian, I'm like pre like my, my instinct is to like side with the woman and then I also at one point I was like, but my instinct is also to side against authority. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know where I'm going to shake out on this because I also I, I do hate her just like blind. These are the rules mm-hmm. like it, it like with the World Series. You are like, can't you just give them the World Series? Like, is that really going to hurt anything? Right. And like it would be a de-escalation of like whatever's happening between you two. Well, and that's where I, there's part of me. And feel free to be like, Ian, know that that's totally wrong. Like, I feel like the character of Nurse Ratched does not hinge on her being a woman. From my perspective. As a man. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's definitely supposed to be like the symbol of 
authority. Mm -hmm. Like she's, she's the personification of like a rigid systematic authority that does not have people's best interests at heart. Um, I definitely think based on some of the stuff McMurphy says, like there is a misogynistic element to his dislike of her Mm -hmm. and his disrespect towards her based on some of the stuff he says. And then also the fact that he's not pulling that shit with Spivey. Mm, That's true. And granted Spivey's a little bit more removed. Like he's not the authority figure McMurphy's Mm -hmm. seeing every single day, but like, there's not like, there's no combative element to his relationship with Spivey. They're really other than like when he punches the guy after they take Cheswick out, like he kind of has this joking relationship with the orderly is like the fact that she is the only one that he seems to have the issue with and that he kind of immediately has the issue with. Mm -hmm. I do think there is an element of it there, but I don't think that's like, I don't think that's all of it or even most of it. I think that, she really is the symbol of that like rigid uncaring system. Interesting. So like, kind of like I said at the lead, super interesting movie, exceedingly well done. It's very, very good. It is um, a little bit of a tough one. Yeah. The, the first half of it too felt a little bit plotting from time to time. But it really picks up right around the boat scene in my mind. I'm trying to remember. I don't know. I was in it pretty early. I don't my know. whole thing was like, I didn't give a shit about Ratched or McMurphy until just after the boat scene. And then I was like in it. <laughs> oh, you're like, I want to watch these two psychos. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but no, generally really enjoyed is a strong word. Like worth watching is what I'm trying to say. It is, yeah, it, it's like one of those that you always hear about that, like, actually holds up. Yeah, agreed. It holds, it, I think it holds up to the hype. All right, do we want to talk about ranks? Yeah, let's. I think I think I have a, it pretty confidently ranked in my list. Um, so I am putting it at number 12. Um, so pretty high. Uh, it is after Tom Jones and before the sting. So Tom Jones sleeper hit, I love that movie. such I love interesting, that movie. engaging, funny characters, a story that I actually want to watch. <laughs> so I recommend it to people oh, constantly. Same. And let me be clear here. Tom Jones is winning because it is much more of a delight to watch than one flew over the cuckoo's nest here. Like I think in some ways one flew over the cuckoo's nest probably is better than tom jones but ultimately i i would prefer it's your list so exactly fuck right on off now with the sting the sting also i felt to be pretty engaging but the depth of all of the characters in one flew over the cuckoo's nest and then the performance of the two leads and the way they worked off one another i thought was vastly superior so like the acting for me even though we love a robert redford uh paul newman uh duo um we do we absolutely they can't really hold a candle to to louise fletcher and jack nicholson in my mind (gasps) shut your mouth you know i'm right i mean yes but it's two it's two delightful pairings but in very different ways oh yeah one is one is a true delight to watch one is just a marvel (laughs) yes agreed okay um i guess if i put mine higher or lower than you 
Uh, I'm going to guess that you put it lower. It is my new number seven. Whoa. Okay. I just, it's just a really good movie. So I have it after it happened one night. So after the other film, the swept the top five and i'm sorry but like i it's it, it's it happened one night like, oh yeah i also have on. it after it happened one night so we agree yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um but above in the heat of the night oh um, that's such a good one to put it above but the thing that i the reason i had because i was toying with whether or not it was above in the heat of the night the reason it goes above is because i found in the heat of the night's ending unsatisfying agreed I think the ending with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is satisfying. It's in keeping with the rest of the film. Um, I f- it feels like a logical conclusion to everything we've watched. But like, I mean, just Jack Nicholson and Louise Fletcher's performances are just astounding. Not to mention how well the supporting cast did. I, I, I do like film. You know, sometimes I just want a fun film, but I do also like films that really make me think. Mm-hmm. And I like characters that I'm conflicted about. Like, there's these characters just felt so real because of that, even though like they're both definitely symbols of certain things, Mm -hmm. they still felt like real people um, because of the complexity. And I like it just, if you want to talk about how like to have a movie that is largely filled with and driven by unlikable characters, but that still holds your attention um, this is this is one of them. And I, I think it's it also has just such an interesting societal commentary. And I think the way it reflects like societal attitudes based on what it does and does not explain is just it's really, really interesting. And it's just it was cinematography is good. Like it's visually great. I just super tight script. There wasn't anything I would have cut. Agreed. Not a single thing I would have cut. So I just and you know yeah, how we're fans it's my, of really tidy <laughs> Tidy films. We love a tidy <laughs> script. I don't care if it's long, as long as everything that's in there needs to be in there. Um, yeah, I just, I got to put it at, it's my new number seven. Nice. It was, I was really torn. I like, it almost made it into the top 10, but it's just too, I didn't enjoy it enough for it to move oh, up. Oh yeah, there, there are definitely movies below it that I enjoyed more, that I am more likely to watch again. Oh, yeah. Cause it's an emotionally taxing film. I, I didn't like cry or anything at it, but it is still like emotionally difficult to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not in the hurry to watch it again anytime soon. Agreed. Um, but I think it was spectacular. So yeah. Uh, I think that's one flew over the cuckoo's nest for us. Yeah. So next time, guess what we get to do? Dun, 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 dun. Rocky. Oh, I'm so excited. Maddie's been I'm, waiting forever. I have been looking, oh, you guys, I've been looking forward to this since we started the 1970s. And I, I, oh, I'm so excited. I watched it again recently because I was really worried. I was like, wait, does it hold up as well as I remember? It does. We're all good. Oh, the, Rocky is another one that I've actually seen before and did enjoy it. Why, why, why have you, why have you seen it, Ian? I can't remember if it was you or Patrick that made me watch it. Who do you think was? I mean. That's also a very Patrick film. But like, I just talked about how much I love that film. So it was probably and I've been looking you. Forward to it, for, it was me. <laughs> it was me. Of course it was me. I love Rocky. Anyway, sorry. More on that next time. <laughs> In the meantime, though, definitely hit us up on social media. We are at Best Pictures Pod 
on Instagram and Twitter. And if you have something more long form, would love to discuss all of the intricacies of one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Love to hear about it. Um, we are a best pictures podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. So until next time, thank you for listening. Uh, rate, subscribe, review, all of that good stuff. And then join us for Rocky. 